afternoon, America, and welcome to another edition of The Sea Report, here for, uh, what is today, Wednesday, May 25th, 2021. I am your host, Mr. C, and we are coming to you live on the Foxhole app, DLive, and Twitch. Good afternoon, good afternoon. I hope everyone's doing well today. I know I'm doing quite well today. I slept pretty well, as some of you might gather. <laughs> so uh, at the start of the uh, show today, I'd just like to uh, wish uh, J-Bell, Liana, the Texan, Belushi, Subpack Vet, and Bruce Q. Wayne a great day. And thank you for a great night, by the way, as well, guys. It was a fun night. And uh, Liz Garcia, I hope you made it. Um, on your travel safely, and in response to Snorgate, I can only stand guilty as charged. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get in today's news. Uh, don't got too much to do by way of housekeeping. We do have a full show for you today, and uh, we are coming to you today, again today on this uh, happy hump day. Regardless of whether you um, participated in it or not, it's still pretty good. All right, guys, uh, let's get into uh, Trump now. Hmm, actually, you know what I should have done because I kind of set this guy up a little bit early. Let me go ahead and do this real quick. And I'm going to just make sure that he hasn't dropped any new tidbits since I got on because after all, oh, no, guess not. Okay, cool. All right, we're good then. So let's go ahead and get on with it. Uh, First uh, statement from President Trump. Uh, we have today is thank you to the Washington Examiner newspaper for covering the forensic audits for the 2020 presidential election, the most corrupt election in the history of our country. Read and study it carefully. It's not fake news. Now, uh, that's a, yeah, that's a, true, a truer statement was never said. I would have to agree. Now, that's not to get everyone upset uh, who's been covering this, because obviously you didn't hear, uh, you didn't hear uh, uh, President Trump thank the Gateway Pundit or uh, Bannon's War Room or Just the News or the Epoch Times. Uh, but, you know, he's got he's to give credit where credit is due to certain, I'm sure, to certain uh, news agencies for a reason. And uh, we're just happy that someone out there in the legacy media, mainstream media, lamestream media is covering it. The Washington Examiner, yeah, I've read some of their articles and they do tend to, to put more of the truth or truthful information out there than uh, we see, obviously, from some of their uh, um, some of their competitor shill uh, organizations that claim to be news, but it's just propaganda. All right, let's check out what we have by way of our next statement from President Trump. Now, uh, this one's going to be directly in regards to this uh, new hoax, this new witch hunt that people are coming after President Trump about. Let's go ahead and take a gander. It says, this is a continuation of the greatest witch hunt in American history. It began the day I came down the escalator in Trump Tower and it never stopped. They uh, wasted two years and $48 million in taxpayer dollars on Mueller and Russia, 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 impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, and it continues to this day with illegally leaked confidential information. Now, it seems to me that I've heard him release a similar statement not long ago, and uh, maybe it's just that first paragraph. Hmm, who knows? Let's go ahead and continue the statement. 
No other president in history has had to put up with what I had to. And on top of all that, I have done a great job for our country, whether it's taxes, regulations, our military, veterans, Space Force, our borders, speedy creation of a great vaccine said to be a miracle, and protecting the Second Amendment. This is purely political and an affront to the almost 75 million voters who supported me in the presidential election and it's being driven by highly partisan uh, prosecutors. New York City and state are suffering the highest crime rates in their history. And instead of going after murderers, drug dealers, human traffickers, and others, they come after Donald Trump. Interesting that today a poll came out indicating I'm far in the lead for the Republican presidential primary and the general election in 2024. Our country is broken, our elections are rigged, corrupt, and stolen, our prosecutors are politicized, and I will just have to keep on fighting like I have been for the last five years. Very good, President Trump. Now, I'll have to say don't get lazy because I know for a fact that at least the first two paragraphs of that came from one of your earlier statements, but um, it's okay. It's okay, President Trump. We'll let you get away with it. <laughs> but anyhow, just goes to show we are sharp-minded and we're watching. All right, guys. So that was our statements. Now, of course, this is going to be directly in relationship to what's been going on with President Trump. Let me go ahead and shrink my screen here. All right. So I can see what I'm talking about, right? No, just kidding. I just like to stay on target. Um, uh, and so that's directly related to the um, grand jury, or I shouldn't say grand jury, just because they're, they're uh, planning to convene a grand jury in uh, this, this investigation. Uh, we, uh, we mentioned it on, on a Mar April 13th episode, I believe it was, uh, when it was just coming out that they were looking to uh, get Trump. The uh, New York prosecutors and uh, those in Florida were kind of preparing for what that would look like if he does get uh, prosecuted or indicted, or if they do decide to move forward. Well, it does seem that they are deciding to move forward. I'll just go ahead and put a picture of Mr. Uh, President Trump up there for us. Now, uh, we do have more information in regards to that. Now, just the news reports that the New York prosecutor in the Trump criminal investigation has decided to go ahead and convene a grand jury. So um, what does that mean? That means they're going to start meeting every so often. Um, it seems here in this case, it's going to be at least three times a week to gather and to go over information and evidence uh, and to make a decision of whether or not they're going to move forward with the prosecution. Now, the district attorney of Manhattan who's involved in this is a man by the name of Cyrus Vance Jr. And he does have the backing of the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, um, and who she is, she's actually conducting her own a related civil probe into the matter. Now, what is it exactly that these uh, individuals are going after? Well, uh, they have um, convened a grand jury and they are anticipated to choose whether to indict the former president or, as I like to say, the 45th president, uh, his company and or its executives um, if they decide to move forward with criminal charges. And they're looking at a wide ranging uh, inquiry into the Trump organization's and former President Donald Trump's finances, um, as well as an examination of whether the Trump organization broke state tax laws by keeping two sets of books, one that was favorable 
uh, uh, one that was for favorable tax and loan rates and the other to pay little in taxes. So I guess he had two tax books, one that would say whether or not he'd, uh, he'd pay favorable loan rates and then one that said how to pay little taxes. I don't know. I guess we'll figure it out. I guess, I guess that's cooking the books to them. I don't know. I mean, I don't think those books would be best sellers, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and find out, huh? Now, this uh, Cyrus Vance Jr. guy, he's actually been involved with uh, trying to get Trump for a while. Uh, for at least a year, he's been on the case. You know, uh, Cyrus Vance is on the case is basically what it's been saying here. Uh, his office scored a major victory when the Supreme Court cleared the way for them to obtain eight years worth of Trump's closely held tax returns. So that's the man that was involved with this. Uh, legal experts also said that in March, Vance would likely want to make cha uh, charging decisions before his retirement at the end of the year. So he, he's, uh, he's planning to retire at the end of this year apparently. And, uh, and he wants to make a decision whether or not they're going to charge Trump, uh, let alone just indict him. Like they want it. They want to see whether or not he's going to be charged. It sounds like just like this Letitia James person who, uh, who it seemed like, you know, Hey, she seems like she could be doing something good going after nipple rings Cuomo. Well, you know, you know, this woman, of course, she ran on this whole platform of, you know, getting Trump and being a pain in his, uh, derriere. But, uh, you know, uh, we'll have to see where that goes. I mean, clearly these people are politicized and polarized and they're just looking to make a name for themselves. At least that's what I think. Uh, but anyhow, so uh, the article also says the recently convened grand jury will sit three days a week for half a year for six months. They're going to go ahead and meet up. And they will likely, and if it's already June, I mean, when is this man, if this man's planning to retire in at the end of the year, um, it's June, guys. Like, I don't think that they're going to charge Trump by December if they're going to be meeting for six months unless they find something real hot and quick that will stick. But uh, good old President Trump, um, a funny nickname, Teflon Don, nothing sticks to him. I mean, as you could hear by all of those, uh, all of those uh, witch hunts that he's been through, well, we'll see if this sticks to him. I kind of think it's not going to stick to him, honestly. But yeah, so they're going to meet for half a year. Um, and they're also going to be discussing other matters in addition to the Trump case. Um, and, and so that what that sounds like to me is that instead of just looking at these tax books and looking at the organization for questionable activities, they're probably just going to be pulling in all kinds of information on President Trump to see what they can, uh, you know, cook up or figure out or, you know, make a move on. But I guess we'll have to see what that's all about. Um, the newspaper said whether the panel will be discussing, will be asked to contemplate returning any indictments is unclear, as is whether prosecutors plan to run through their entire grand jury presentation or if the proceeding will be punctuated to permit the panel to examine other cases in between hearing from witnesses regarding the Trump organization and its business activities. Go figure, guys. I don't know. I guess these people will come up with something at some point. All right, guys. So uh, to start off the um, uh, um, aside from our Trump news, because Trump does lead at the Sea Report, we have a brand new interview with President Donald Trump. He also announced it in his uh, press release, his statements there on his website, DonaldJTrump.com. So we're going to go ahead and sit back a spell and give a listen. Uh, now, this was a... Um, 
This was a um, interview given on Newsmax uh, with President Donald Trump. Uh, I guess this would be his second sit down with Newsmax. Let's go ahead and give it a listen, guys, and I will see you all on the other side. Joe Biden is president. It's only been four months, and in the short four months, America is enduring numerous crises, both abroad and at home. It seems our country is deteriorating very fast, even faster than I would have thought. Your reaction? Well, it's pretty obvious. You look at what's going to happen is even scarier. The border is a disaster. We had the strongest border we've ever had, and within a month, uh, it became the weakest, and now you have tens of thousands of people flowing into our countries, and many are criminals, frankly, released from jails in numerous countries. We have people coming in from the Middle East. We have people coming in from everywhere. You go to the airport, you have to show how you're doing. You come through the southern border and you just walk in. We have the strongest southern border ever, and it's very sad to see. Uh, the wall was so important. You know, we built almost 500 miles of wall, and within a month it would have been finished, and they ended it. They ended it. Right. It took two and a half years to get the approvals to do it. I had to go to court. I had to do everything. We got the approvals, and so you have open spots, and it's ridiculous. I hear they're going to close them up, but now... It's a big deal with the contractors because those deals were, those, those transactions were made. It was all complete. But you look at so many other things, uh, it's very sad to see what's happening. Inflation is going to be a big problem. It's going to drive a lot of things up and down, whichever is worse, because uh, bad things happen with inflation. But you see that happening all over lumber, the cost of lumber, the cost of gasoline. You look at gasoline, what's happened. I was at 287 uh, was uh, was high. Uh, that's when I got involved, right. and uh, it was in the threes and a little bit in the fours. And then I got came in and I had it under two dollars. I had it for a dollar eighty seven actually. And when I left, it was under two dollars substantially. And now it's it's going to be hitting four dollars, and that's bigger than any tax increase you can think of, especially for middle income people. So a lot of bad things are happening. I don't think we're respected in the world right now. Uh, there would never moves on Taiwan by China. Now you have bombers flying over Taiwan. Russia would have never encircled Ukraine like they did. Uh, Kim Jong-un was somebody that I had a great relationship with. We weren't going to have any problem with him, in my opinion. And now you look at what's going on there. A lot of bad things are happening. I want to ask about the Wuhan lab. New reporting this week from the Wall Street Journal about workers there being so sickened as far back as November of 2019 that they were hospitalized. Uh, the corporate media, now the shameful biased corporate media, is starting to come around to recognize that perhaps that is the origin, in fact, of the China virus. Even Dr. Fauci is changing his tune. Do you feel vindicated? Well, I said it right at the beginning. That's where it came from. I think it was obvious to smart people that's where it came from. I have no doubt about it. I had no doubt about it. I was criticized by the press because China has a lot of people taken care of. They took care of Hunter. They took care of Joe. They took care of everybody, didn't they? And people didn't want to say China. Uh, usually they blame it on Russia. It's always Russia, Russia, Russia. But I said right at the beginning, it came out of Wuhan. And that's where all the deaths were. Also, by the way, when we first heard about this, there were body bags, dead people laying all over Wuhan province. And that's where it happened to be located. So. To me, it was very obvious. I said it very strongly, and I was criticized, and now people are agreeing with me, so that's okay. When it comes to China, the more we learn about their malfeasance regarding the virus and what they knew very early on and lied to the world about, is it important for the United States that we make them pay a real penalty for what they did? 
Well, we have to be stronger than what we are right now. Right now, what's going on is just uh, very unfortunate. Uh, you know, I put massive taxes and tariffs on China. We took in tens of billions of dollars, and they're talking about taking them off. Uh, you look at the military they're building, it's going to be, you know, just so, it's so big what they're doing, and they're doing it with money they take out of the United States. And what I did was incredible with China. We really set them back. And I don't want to set them back. I want to have a, let everybody do well. Uh, our farmers did well. The deal I made with China was incredible for our farmers and for manufacturers and uh, everybody else. And you see that the farmers are doing better than they've ever done because of what's being bought from China. But when the China virus came or COVID came, whatever you want to call it, there are a lot of different names. I won't go into all of them. But when they came, Steve, it was a whole different ballgame. When that, when that horrible uh, virus flew over the oceans or came however it came in. Remember, I closed our country to China way early, much earlier than Pelosi or anybody wanted it to happen, including Dr. Fauci. I always got along with pretty well, but I usually did the opposite of what he wanted. He said the vaccine would take three to five years and probably wouldn't even happen. Right. And I got it done in less than nine months. I think that's one of the great achievements. And I think another great achievement, I think the best bet ever made was I bought billions and billions of dollars of vaccine before we knew it worked, before we had it approved, because otherwise we'd be waiting until October of this year. So well, you probably got vaccinated. Most people did. A lot of people did. A lot of people are going to. And we have some out there that don't want to, and that's their freedom. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's their freedom. I would recommend that they do it, but that's their freedom. We're very proud of what we've done. But if you look at the world, I think this could have been another Spanish flu from 1917, where up to 100 million people died. This was going to, this was only going to be getting worse. And uh, the vaccine has just made, I, I see numbers today are that we're doing better than we have now in here because of the vaccine, because people, it's stopping, it's stopping this plague from spreading and going further. Other countries are behind us. Uh, we were way early. If you remember a very important time when this started, everybody was saying, look at India, how well India is doing. Well, they're not doing well. Look at other countries. They talked about France. They talked about Spain. They talked about different countries. Look how they're doing. Now even Taiwan is being hit very hard. But then any country that was doing better than us, they use that as an example. We did an incredible job with this horrible, with getting, you know, getting the ventilators and getting the outfits and the goggles and the masks and all of the things you had to do. We did an incredible job, but they'd always say the fake news. Look at India. They used to use India as the biggest because it was a big country and they were doing fine then, but boy, they are, they've gotten hit harder than anybody ever thought possible. But they'll get better because of the vaccines. The vaccine is the biggest thing that's happened and uh, second to that would be one of the best bets ever made, and that was the bet of billions and billions, up to $12 billion worth of uh, paraphernalia, but also, you know, for the, the bottles, we got the uh, injection apparatus, but most importantly, we got the vaccine, and we bought it early because it takes so long to manufacture. So instead of uh, having one now, people would be getting, you'd start the process on October 1st. So that was a great bet that saved possibly, you know, tens of millions of lives worldwide.
Mr. President, you mentioned gasoline, and uh, the specific uh, statistics are on Election Day, it was 220 a gallon national average, according to the Department of Energy. Right now, it's 311. That's a massive move, incredibly quickly since Election Day. Uh, I want to ask you about inflation, though, more broadly, because you did business in the 1970s, the last time the U.S. saw really aggressive inflation. A lot of people, if they're young, have never operated in that kind of environment in America. Uh, what does this portend for Americans, this new Biden inflation spike? Well, it's going to be ugly. Uh, when you look at the cost of a house, uh, just the materials for a house, it's up 30 or 40 percent in the last few months, uh, especially lumber. Lumber, they say you can't even get it. Uh, perhaps they're closing down all their forests for environmental reasons. I disagreed with that. I said, let's buy our lumber from ourselves. So we go to Canada, and Canada is a very good, they are very good negotiators in Canada. I did the USMCA, which was one of the great achievements because NAFTA was so bad. It was so horrible. Worst trade deal ever made, although the deals they made with China were pretty bad, too, I will tell you that. But uh, the worst trade deal ever made, and I got it done. So we have a great trade deal now, but they close up forests. They don't want to take down any trees, so we end up buying them from other countries, and the lumber's gone through the roof. The lumber, I guess, as much as anything, but everything, steel, you look at what's going on with pricing, and obviously you're going to have inflation. Gasoline is going to stop at six, seven dollars, I think, based on what I'm seeing. We were energy independent when I left, and right now I would have to say we are no longer energy independent. We're putting windmills all over the place, which costs a fortune. Which, by the way, if you're a believer in the carbon footprint and all of the other things. When they make these windmills, which are all made in China and Germany, by the way, they're all made in China, Germany. We don't do them here. They put them together. We put them together here. We don't make them here. Uh, what goes into the air when they make them is more than anything that can ever be saved while we're here, if you're a believer in that. Okay, some people aren't, some people aren't. But we have windmills all over the place. They ruin the environment. They kill the birds. And they cost a fortune. We have natural gas. costs us nothing. Actually, nothing. They burn it off. When you're looking at all of the those flames on top of the wells, that's natural gas that they burn off. They throw away. And we have it for nothing. Other countries don't have that. We have it for nothing. The richest in the world. And we want to give that away for windmills. You look at some of these beautiful farms where they have windmills all over the place, and you look at these incredible landscapes, and now they're putting them in parts of Massachusetts where a lot of people aren't so happy about it and uh, has a lot of negative impacts. I'm not a big fan of wind. It's very, very expensive. You see what happened in Texas where they actually froze up on them. Got a little cold and they froze. Now, we have tremendous resources, and uh, solar is going to get better, but it's very expensive right now. Uh, wind has a place, but it's got a much smaller place than what they're doing. You put them in industrial areas, maybe, but to put them all over these incredible landscapes of our country. They're destroying our country. Sure. I think that Texas situation was a wake-up call for a lot of people if it could happen in energy-rich Texas, right? Well, especially in Texas because they have so much, and it's for nothing. I mean, they literally are burning it off. It costs nothing. Somebody was giving me an analogy that uh, natural gas is one cent per however they measure it. Wind is 50 cents and 55 cents. Solar is 56 cents. So here we have it for one cent, but it's probably almost nothing. Delivery is probably the biggest thing. We have it. It's there. It's a natural byproduct. We have it. Wind is 
so much more expensive. Sure. And remember this, when those windmills, after 10 years, they have to be replaced, and they start to rust and rot. And you go out to Palm Springs, California, and you take a look at those wind farms out there. They, they look like junkyards. It's really a terrible thing. And uh, somebody led this country. I had it slowed down, but now they're really gearing up to do a lot of wind, and it's not a good thing. Now, staying on this broad topic of the economy, I want to ask you about big business and specifically big tech. Because a lot of these firms, I would say most of these firms, they are globalists and they don't really view themselves as American companies anymore. They abuse American workers. They attack uh, our values. Was it a miss when we had both houses of Congress and you were in the White House? Was it a miss to not more aggressively confront big tech? Well, Section 230 could have been done. Something could have been done. But something is happening now that's great. Uh, Florida, Ron, Texas, what they're doing is incredible. They're putting very, very powerful restrictions on big tech. Now, when you add Florida and you add what Greg Abbott's doing in Texas and, and the others and a lot of people together, and you look at other states, big states and small states, doesn't matter, you add them all up, they're not going to be able to function unless they become reasonable. So they're basically doing what the federal government will never do. They will never do it. They're, well, when you they're, they're taking care of very nicely the other side, the Democrats. Uh, some of the people, Marsha Blackburn and, and uh, Josh Hawley and others, they're really fighting hard. But they're fighting a battle against uh, a group of people that just aren't going to do it. That's the Democrats. So what's happening is the big states are coming out. Florida, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott in particular, those two governors have done an incredible job. I hear in South Dakota they're doing it. I hear in uh, maybe eight or nine different states they're doing it. That'll do it because I don't know how you can, you know, you're not going to lose Florida. They can't right. lose Florida, Texas, and some of these big states. They're going to have to make changes. So I think they can do what the federal government hasn't done, and it gives people like me and others that have been very illegally treated, it gives us the right to bring major lawsuits. When Facebook went to their so-called Supreme Court, their Supreme Court didn't want anything to do with banning me. Right. They went back, they said, what are you doing? What are you doing this to us for? You make the decision, which was pretty amazing when you think of it, considering everybody was hand-picked, right? So uh, it's very interesting what's happening. So I, I greatly respect what some of the governors are doing in some of the states. I think they can solve the problem maybe better than the federal government. Okay, but regarding the federal response, if the Republicans do retake the Congress, uh, as yeah. you're very much working toward in yeah. 2022, if you decide to run again and you win in 2024, in a potential a hypothetical second Trump term, what can be done to counter the, the power of these oligarchs? Well, I think what can be done, and very strongly, and, uh, and when you say oligarchs, it's an interesting term, but yeah, I, I just say big tech because what they do is illegal. But they also silenced what should have been the biggest blockbuster story of the entire campaign. Uh, you know that. I certainly experienced this from the campaign side. The fact that the Hunter Biden laptop from hell story was completely censored and suppressed by big tech. In my view, that justifies labeling these operators as, as oligarchs. Is that fair? Well, a lot of things are fair. Look, that was when we first had uh, silencio. That's when we first had silence with Hunter Biden because it was very bad for the Democrats. That was a very bad issue and we'd bring it up and I have to tell you the New York Post was incredible. What they've done is incredible and the abuse they took it was 
you know, I think it's a great newspaper, actually, and a lot of people are relying on it more and more. The New York Post has done an incredible job in that in that regard, but they took tremendous abuse. But that's when you first saw silence. They silenced a newspaper. It's the oldest newspaper in our country, I believe, and it's a big one. Right. But they silenced a newspaper in our country because they were talking about Hunter Biden. And the Senate we held, if I weren't involved in the Senate races, nobody ever says this, I believe it would be 60 to 40 right now with the Democrats leading by 10 instead of 50-50. And Mitch McConnell lost two seats that he should have had. He kept talking about, we're going to give you $600, they're going to give you $2,000. Who can win a race like that? He said, you won't get a penny more to the public. You won't get a penny more. They're voting. And they're saying 2000 and he's saying $600. He lost those two Senate seats, so we have 50-50. I think you would be 60-40 if I weren't endorsing. If you look at uh, Alaska, you look at Iowa, you looked at North Carolina, you look at many, even Lindsey Graves that I helped him so much, and he's done a terrific job. I helped him a lot. And I got Mitch McConnell elected, if you can believe it. He was losing, and he came to me. He wanted help. And I gave him help, and he went up 20 points after I gave him help, and he won his election. But if I didn't get him help, he would have lost right. absolutely in Kentucky, where I'm very popular. I'm I, like them. I like them, too, by the way. <laughs> you, you've been very tough on Mitch McConnell, I think deservedly so. Uh, but wouldn't the same criticisms also apply to Kevin McCarthy? Uh, different. Uh, Kevin has had some bad moments, but he's, he's always come back and done what's right for the country. So it's different. It really is different. He had a couple of bad moments, but uh, it's a very interesting question. Different in that sense, yeah. Much different. And, and you know, he's done. He's done a good job. Uh, impeachment hoax number one. We didn't have one negative vote. And for the second, we had not very many. And those people are all being primaried. I think every one of them. Liz Cheney. She's a disaster. I mean, Liz Cheney is being primaried in Wyoming. And Wyoming was my number one state. I think I won it by 57 Sorry. points. No? 47 points, I guess. But I won it by number one. I think I won it by even more than Alabama and West Virginia. All great states. But I won it by uh, 47 points, Wyoming. You know, earlier you mentioned the Biden border crisis. There's uh, new reporting by some journalists in Tennessee that in the middle of the night, plane loads were, were landing in Chattanooga, Tennessee, full of migrant children. Nobody locally was informed about this. Every town is effectively becoming a border town now because of the Biden border crisis. What is the left, Joe Biden, his allies, what are they really after with this open borders lunacy? They're going to destroy this country. And forget about the children. They have people coming in from prisons. They have rapists. They have murderers. They have drug dealers, they have human traffickers, and they traffic in women mostly, which nobody likes to say. They traffic in women. Uh, they have people, the worst people anywhere in this, in this hemisphere in the world, coming into this country unchecked, being released in our country. And yeah, they are. They're releasing people in Tennessee. That never happened with me. Right. That's why Tennessee likes me. <laughs> but they're releasing them in areas that it just, I mean... It's horrible what's right. happening. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. Again, we had the strongest border in history. We never had a border like this with me. And a big factor was that I built so much of the wall. What a difference it makes, it, like day and night. Also, I got Mexico to go 28,000 soldiers free of charge because they didn't want to be tariffed. And because they also happen to have a very good president. I think a very smart president, a very good president. but. 
We had the best border we've ever had. And overnight, like, stay in Mexico. I want stay in Mexico. Now they stay in the United States and they disappear into our country. We don't even know who these people are. They right. walk up, they can be murderers, they can be the worst, and they come into our country totally unchecked. Right. It's very, very sad what's happening. One last question, please, Mr. President, related to that. Joe Biden and his allies uh, in the media, teachers unions, they seem to be changing the very definition of what it means to be an American citizen. What do you believe we should be teaching our children it means to be an American citizen? They hate our country and we love our country. We have to love this country. And if somebody doesn't like our country, they shouldn't be here. But you look at what the way they're treating Israel now compared to what it was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, Israel was you know, untouchable. I think nobody's done as much for Israel, frankly, as I have. If you take a look between the embassy in Jerusalem and the capital of Israel and all of the different things that I've done, and the Iran deal, which was such a disaster, and Golan Heights was a big deal. Everyone, you know, for 52 years they were trying to get Golan Heights. I got it done. But they've been a great ally. And really, you know, when you look at the way they're being treated right now, it's not even believable by Democrats. It's not believable. We have to love our country, and uh, you would almost think that the people that are allowing our country to be destroyed do not love our country. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for sitting through that uh, interview, marvelous interview with our president, President Donald Trump. Um, Pretty interesting topics there all across the board from talking about the Republican Party and all of the, the rhinos and shills in that uh, party, as well as uh, where we ended up there with um, uh, a little bit about what's going on with Israel and that whole situation. I, honestly, I think and I really won't touch this topic with a 30 foot pole, guys, but um, it, it the way that uh, the way that the Democrats, uh, the progressives, the socialists, the Marxists, even if you want to call them that, are uh, displaying that that you know that very angry fervor against you know Israel, I, it says something because it is definitely a flip, like it's a hundred and eighty degree turn from what used to come out of all sides of Congress in regards to that country. But again. Um, while I'm not an isolationist or anything like that, uh, we got our own business we have to take care of. And uh, they seem to be taking care of themselves over there themselves as well. Uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to Monkey Toe 71 Red Ant, Carrie Lake, Jay, Just V, Joy for Trump, and Sharia22. Thanks for stopping into the chat. Good to have you guys with us today as we move right along. Now, you might note today we're not actually doing too much with um, election news because, well, we cover it all the time here. And that's not to say that there wasn't some. But yesterday we had quite a field day going through the entire New Hampshire, Wyndham, New Hampshire audit from top to bottom um, uh, as it is set to end tomorrow. So we'll figure out how that goes as soon as that comes across the news desk. We'll have a little bit of stuff that we talk about. We'll get to Arizona in a little bit uh, today. But actually what we I wanted to do now is actually turn our attention to this question. Now, some of you all may have heard about this woman because after all, I, guys, when it comes to the bad guys, I never pick flattering pictures, just so you know. <laughs> so you're probably like, oh, who's this gag or husk or whatever the heck that is. Um, okay, so the question is, uh, the question is posed, who is Laureen Jobs? 
Loreen Powell jobs. Well, I mean, if the last name weren't any evidence of who this woman is, well, I mean, then I guess you're not an Apple fan. Well, I'm not either, but you know, <laughs> I'm not a Mac fan myself, but uh, this is the widower of Steve Jobs, uh, the um, billionaire computer guru and founder of Apple Computers or whatever they're called. I don't know. I, I just, I don't like Macs. I, I got a phone because it was free, um, but it was actually my first iOS system ever, um, and I don't care to deal with their computers either. I think it's like alien technology. But anyways, uh, so why is she coming up on the screen now? Some of y'all might have caught this article. I'm not really aware of, of anyone reported on it, but uh, I think this one I got from Breitbart, but it's also from the book called Breaking the News. And I apologize, I don't have the author's name. Oops, shame on me. But Breaking the News is the name of the book where uh, basically they were breaking down all of the forces behind, you know, the media forces, the six, con I would say conglomerate, right? The six main media houses that control everything. Well, this woman here, uh, was that? Am I pointing the right way? I can't see. Yeah, this woman here, she uh, she's actually uh, being touted as uh, the female or the new George Soros. So, uh, you know, evil always travels in pairs. No, just kidding. I don't know if that's a fact or not. But um, indeed here, so we have this this woman, Lorene Powell Jobs. Um, um, and again, she's being touted as uh, the kind of new face of George Soros. As you can see here, guys. She's definitely already getting George Soros Isaacs, you know? I mean, I don't know what happens to a widower after her billionaire husband dollar dies. Uh, husband, billion dollar husband dies. I don't know what you what you up to, but she's definitely getting those George Soros Isaacs. Anyways, okay, so let's talk a little bit about Lorene Powell Jobs so we can kind of like dissect a little bit about who she is and what she does now that she has all this free time on her hand. What has she been up to, right? Well, uh, just as a quick recap, um, you know, she graduated from Wharton School of Finance at the University of Pennsylvania and Stanford. She worked for Merrill Lynch and Goldman Sachs. I mean, they all seem to move in the same circles, right? She married and inherited a lot of money from, of course, her former deceased husband. Um, and also from having a lot of business ties and wealth tied into some of the um, biggest co or companies and organizations in the world. So this woman basically is establishment, right? Okay. Um, now, not only is she worth around $16 billion, uh, she also has the largest stakes in two of the world's biggest company, one being Apple and the other being Disney. So this woman, if she has large stakes in Disney, and we all know Disney controls everybody, I mean, I'm glad I stopped reading comic books before they bought up Marvel, and because uh, I was a Marvel child growing up. But, uh, you know, I guess that's neither here nor there because they just, they ruin everything. Um, so it's not really become a super secret that she is, in fact, that wealthy and could be that powerful. But what has become kind of super secret is that she's like the superpower behind a lot of left-wing media outlets, organizations, and politicians. Now, Lauren Powell Jobs founded a nonprofit um, organization that 
Forbes touts as a hybrid philanthropic, philanthropic and investing limited liability company. So it's kind of like, what the heck is that? So is it a nonprofit? Uh, is, is it, what is it? Do they just invest in like uh, philanthropy and like all of those like things? Or do they actually do business with someone? So it's this kind of hybrid. It kind of gives them like this, I don't know, like this, uh, um, ability to be amorphous in that regard. A uh, real quick visit to that website uh, so you can see it. It's it's actually very well done. This is the Emerson Collective. Look at this. The Great Climate Race. So obviously, you know, they're pushing climate crap. Um, see, with less than 10 years to reverse the course of climate change, our society is racing towards the creation of a life-sustaining economy which can support humanity while saving the planet. Uh, how farmers can become climate heroes. Block power, Daniel. I don't know what that's about. Anyways, I didn't get to go through a lot of this website, but uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this woman here. Um, okay, so uh, Lorene Powell's gate. Uh, jo- I said gates. Woohoo! Oh, hey. Hey, Bill. You're single these days, huh? <laughs> Anyways, uh, so it says um, it says that the um, uh, the Emerson Collective is also the owner of the Atlantic publication. Now, we know the Atlantic publication is a left wing kind of uh, uh, magazine that comes out there. Now, if you're ever telegraphing the enemy and you're kind of trying to get to know them. You know, I know I have uh, I've looked at the Atlantic myself just to see what articles they're publishing or what kind of what the skinny is I can get out of them. But um, if you guys might recall that one time where um, uh, Trump came under fire because allegedly he had said that uh, Americans who died in wars were losers and that they were suckers. Do you guys remember that story? Well, the Atlantic is the one who published that story. Um, that was their editor-in-chief, Jeffrey Goldberg, who had posted that article in a September 3rd issue of 2020. Uh, and then, incidentally, um, they ran that piece on a Thursday evening, and the next day... That's when we started seeing all of those ads coming out. It's like, wow, how'd they get this together so quick? All of those professional ads featuring all about, like, what, seven people in the armed forces who just could not stand Trump and they were against Trump. And in fact, these ads, would you, do you guys know where the ads actually uh, got their kickoff? Where they started airing first was on nothing more than Joe Scarborough's Morning Joe on MSDNC. <laughs> the shoe fits, guys, right? So this is kind of the people that uh, this woman is working with or actually probably in charge of. It's, it's highly likely that she is the boss of a lot of these people. And again, she has these organizations, she has these companies, and she funds them. Um, now, uh, she also is an investor in Axios. And I know that uh, some of us from time to time do get some news from Axios. They do, they do offer some truth in their journalism, even though it's slanted or however have you. They all have their moments, you know, where they give out a little bit of truth and sometimes where they don't. Um, and that, of course, uh, Axios is a, a prestigious DC News outlet, uh, and they are featured on HBO. So in case you guys haven't heard of Axios, I mean, they do make their rounds. They do appear in a lot of the independent patriot media and America First type media with, you know, scoops because they, they do get them. You know, they do get those scoops. She also funds Mother Jones and ProPublica, and she's also, um, she's also a part of the activist left uh, that does 
a lot of that substantial reporting. So all of these left-wing activist-type organizations and news outlets, she funds them, she's involved with them. In fact, her organization, the Emerson Collective, also partners with that one YouTube channel, Now This. You guys know those like annoying little short video clips that always talk smack about everything. So they're also involved with that, and that is not just a, a, a partisan organization. It is a hyper-partisan, left-wing, viral news organization that always targets the millennials. So that is the uh, the age group or the, the, um, the uh, what do you call it, the age group that she's seeking to... Uh, to um, influence their um, demographic is the word that my brain is searching for, but it's not popping out. So anyways, okay, so indeed, just like George Soros's Open Society Foundation, uh, Lorreen Powell jo uh, Jobs Foundation, um, the EC or the Emerson Collective, is a main vehicle that they use for their philanthropic out, uh, outfits. Um, and that includes um, entities like Acronym, which is a Democrat technology venture that pumped $25 million into Courier News, um, which claims to be an independent news source across the country, but other people say other things. Now, if you have uh, organizations like Bloomberg saying that Courier Newsroom is actually the left's plan to slip vote-swaying news into Facebook feeds, they got to be pretty hyper-partisan. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then also NewsGuard has said that Courier and Acronym are exploiting the widespread loss of local journalism to create and disseminate something they really don't need, hyper-local partisan propaganda. Um, and now this, uh, this lady is also involved in left-wing politics, as you would probably expect or believe um, the Emerson Collective supports actively the Democrat Party. And these articles always say the Democratic Party or the Democratic candidates. Guys, the name of their party is the Democrat Party. I know y'all know it, but you know, I'm just hoping that it will influence the collective consciousness so people can stop saying Democratic because they are not the Democratic Party. They are the Democrat Party. You don't, they don't call us the Republicanic Party or the Republicanian Party or the Republicanites. You know, it is the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. Anyways, I need to get off of that, that little like word whisker there. Um, okay, so um, in addition to that, okay, so uh, they support the Democrat Party. Uh, in 2016, the Emerson Collective gave $2.5 million to the DNC super PAC called Priorities Action USA. And in addition to that, um, two individuals works for her Emerson Collective, including Obama's education secretary, Arnie Duncan, and his general services administrator, Dan Tangherlini. Uh, so, um, you know, clearly they are supporters of the Democrat Party. They support any of those initiatives or any of the digresses that the progressives want to take. And it is also said that this woman has a very tight personal relationship with Kamala Harris, um, who was a California senator that she would hang around with before becoming vice president. And in, and in fact, the Emerson Collective stopped very short of saying that they supported and endorsed Kamala Harris for vice president. But maybe that's because they knew that in their hearts, she would be their president someday. 
I don't know. So anyways, I just thought I'd bring that to everyone's attention in case anyone missed it. Uh, but that is the case in any place. Let me go and see what's going on over here. Okay. All right, guys, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Boop. Oh, we get to Arizona so soon. Okay, cool, guys. Let's go ahead and see what's going on in Arizona. Sorry, I got to remember to speak this way because uh, my volume is very directional right now. Okay, so, um, all right, Arizona, guys, Arizona. Let's talk Arizona. Get that screen down a little bit. Okay, so what's going on in Arizona? Now, we're not going to stay too long on the election audit going on in Arizona. Of course, we know it's back into play as of uh, what... Uh, Monday, the 24th, they, they kicked off the audit again. Let's go ahead and get a quick update from uh, Ken Bennett, uh, the former Secretary of State, turned liaison between the auditors and the Senate there in Arizona. And uh, he was interviewed by the Gateway Pundit. They are just doing a quick catching up with the Arizona audit. Let's give it a listen, guys. How's it going? This is Jordan Conrads here with Gateway Pundit, here with Ken Bennett. Um, so how's the audit going? We started back up yesterday and everything's running very smoothly. That we have awesome. the most uh, counting tables filled that we've had uh, since we began and they are increasing every day. More and more volunteers and staff coming in, so uh, we're pleased. Okay, so in regards to the Maricopa Board of Supervisors' response to Karen Fan's letter, or your response actually on the 18th, uh, have you gotten an answer from the county regarding issues with duplicate ballots and corresponding originals? No, we haven't heard anything from them yet, but we're uh, putting together a specific email to ask them some of those questions. Uh, they didn't want to come to the hearing at the Senate, and they right. had their own little uh, uh, hearing the day before. So we we didn't get many of the answers we would have liked to have gotten, but we are getting ready to contact them to get whatever they're willing to give us. All right. How about the chain of custody documentation from November to April? Any word on that? We still have not received anything about that, no. Mm -hmm. In regards to pink slip discrepancies, they basically said, we don't believe you, your your auditors must have counted wrong. Um, do you think that the auditors might have counted wrong, or do you think they're just deflecting the blame? <laughs> well, uh, we've been very precise, and I've uh, watched uh, personally, see if those numbers add up all the time and many times they do not so the data that we sent them in the email saying that uh, those batches do not always uh, equal the number of ballots that their little subtotal sheets say should be there that is a correct statement and so we hope they'll be able to give us a little more insight other than saying uh, it's supposed to add up and we, we must have just counted wrong so mm -hmm. we, we right. double and triple check that and we hope they'll Give us a little more insight. That's right. And then, so, they, instead of showing up to your meeting, they held their own meeting where they didn't really answer your questions. What, what are they afraid of? Why didn't they just come to your meeting? Uh, I don't know. We, we um, I thought President Fan did a great job of going back to the history of the very beginning, where they gave every indication to her that they would be cooperative. Um, and their um, reason for not being able to move forward at that time was that they didn't have the authority and uh, the Senate gave them that authority through the subpoenas but as soon as the subpoenas were issued they seemed to have become uh, very contrary and, and uncooperative so we hope that we can break through that and, and get some uh, better cooperation but uh, it takes two sides to cooperate. All right. 
So at what point does this require criminal action? They're, they're not following they, they never get to criminal action. Right. If they don't want to cooperate, they don't want to cooperate. So, um, I see. Okay, and then have there been any other attempts to stop this process? By Board of Supervisors well, or Democrats not, or Katie Hobbs? Um, Katie Hobbs, the Secretary of State, um, released a letter saying that uh, the machines can no longer be used, which is totally ludicrous. Uh, we haven't done anything with the machines that they would normally do in handling the machines. We we had the big um, high volume scanner machines for a little more than a week and returned them in exactly the same condition that we received them uh, in. So I don't think there's anything that uh, we've done with the machines that makes them unusable. And then my last question, um, I don't see any of the pink shirts like Ryan Hobbs or any of the, Katie Hobbs' operatives. Um, Where well, are they? The, uh, the pink shirts, the observers from the Secretary of State's office seem to be coming in the afternoon shift and they've kind of quit coming in the morning shift for some reason. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right, y'all. So that was a quick update from uh, Ken Bennett and the Gateway Pundit. It's interesting how they uh, um, are consistently asking about criminal action uh, being taken against, uh, you know, whether it's the Maricopa um, Board of uh, Supervisors or, you know, this is the SOS, the Secretary of State offices, um, in regards to them basically not following subpoenas. But again, this is a pattern that they all seem to do, whether you're in Michigan or anywhere around the United States of America, really, if they want to slow roll all of that information, if they don't want to abide by the, the jurisdiction and the rules uh, that are being ordered by the courts, they won't do it. And uh, I think that just goes to show um, how bad our, uh, our actual our actual uh, a jurisdiction, uh, not jurisdiction, um, our uh, judicial branch is um, all across the board because, uh, like it has been said, you can have a corrupt executive, you can have a corrupt legislative, but if you have a corrupt judicial, you're screwed. Um, so definitely, I know that they're working on that. We know that President Trump did uh, install, what, over 300 judges um, so we'll see how that goes in, in that effect. And we'll see if maybe some of these judges who are otherwise shilled out, maybe they're blackmailed, maybe, you know, they're just greedy and they were offered a lot of whatever it is that they desire. Maybe they'll turn over a leaf. I mean, uh, we have the case, uh, I mean, everything still moved forward in the case of, um, of Arizona, in spite of the fact that, you know, the second judge should have recused himself as well. But uh, we'll go ahead and hang on to your hats and take what we can get while we can. Now, uh, in other news from going on with this um, election audit over in Arizona, uh, we also had one of the uh, vendors, one of the vendors there, um, their time on their contract had expired. It expired on May 14th. Uh, and in, an, in a brief article from ArizonaCentral.com, they talked a bit about this, and I uh, elected to choose the article because uh, their uh, their headline was something to the effect of uh, "Tech company running Arizona ballot recount backs out." They're done. Like, and it, it just because I keep saying how the media in Arizona, because I mean, really, locally, they're they're only ones who are reporting what's going on in Arizona. You don't have, you know. 
huge legacy media type outlets reporting on this, obviously. But even there, you can see the slant and you can see the bias against the election audit in the hometown. So people there will probably just think like it's it's a, a, a sideshow, a clown show, a circus. It's it's like that uh, that carnival that they had there for a little bit. Um, but so we have that tech company. Uh, the name of the tech company was IT, uh, was Wake Technology Services Incorporated. Um, they're a Pennsylvania-based IT company. They are a subcontractor working beneath the Cyber Ninjas and their contract expired on May 14th, which was the original set date uh, for this audit to end. And then of course, you know, we had the uh, graduations that went on there. Now, uh, the job of Wake TSI was to um, oversee the procedures for recounting the county's nearly 2.1 million ballots. Um, so they kind of set up that procedure. Uh, but as Senate President Karen Fan um, said, the company had completed its obligations and under its contract. So um, she was informed that they would not be returning. Uh, to that, she just simply said they finished up with their contract, so they don't need to be there anymore. Uh, whereas the azcentral.com article was kind of spinning it that uh, they were trying to get away and they didn't want to deal with it. And also, uh, it also called them the most experienced uh, contractors working there, um, again, to much to the discredit of the new uh, company that's been contracted called Strat Tech. Uh, and Strat Tech is a Arizona-based or an Arizona-based uh, IT company that will be taking its place in regards to Strat Tech, uh, Ken Bennett had told a pool of reporters on the 7th that um, there were probably two to 300 people that work under their employ or, or as volunteers. And Strat Tech was formed in 2013 and has two primary executives by the name of Christopher Moore of Phoenix and Richard Allen Glenhorn of Scottsdale. Um, he also said that Strat Tech was very familiar with the hand counting procedures and that some of their workers had already undergone training and he thought it was a natural fit for them to come in and take over the role <clears throat> now that Wake Technologies was leaving. So um, that's just a little bit of something that's going on now. Before we get into the rest of the Arizona news, let me do a little bit of on-air Okay, so, oh yeah, let me get this off the screen too. Let's go back to the Arizona flag. Boop, okay, cool. All right, so now uh, we also had uh, some uh, um, information coming out uh, in regards to um, how the uh, Department of Justice had threatened, well, it wasn't so much a verbal threat as it was a letter of intimidation. Uh, you know, they were saying basically like, you know, they can't be canvassing and that they might be, you know, violating certain uh, rules and laws um, under the Constitution. So this was when um, um, uh, Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, Katie Snobbs, had decided to try and get Biden's DOJ involved to stop the audit. Like, you remember, do you guys remember that? That was probably like, oh, a month ago or so already now, um, when uh, this letter from the DOJ arrived to uh, Senator, Senate President Karen Fan's office. And they're basically, it was basically like a cease and desist letter. It was, it was an intimidation letter. Like, uh, come to find out, uh, it was because of that letter that that is the reason why they pulled the idea of canvassing 
um, this entire uh, operation where they would knock on doors or not even knock on doors just as much as so as maybe even just check to make sure that uh, the address registered uh, to the mail-in ballot was like a legal and lawful residence. It wasn't like, I don't know, an empty parking lot or like a government building or a P.O. box, which we do know has been known to be the case um, with some instances in other states. So anyways, um, Karen Fan had received this letter from the DOJ, uh, but but some goodness had, has come out of this because I guess she sought some legal advice, uh, and this legal advice was with one organization known as PILF. Now, if you guys remember PILF, we've talked about them here on the Sea Report before. Uh, back in March, uh, they were the outfit that had uh, to do with um, the settlement in Pennsylvania, where the, the Pennsylvania Department of State had failed to maintain accurate voter rolls. Um, and that was, well, actually, that was at the beginning of April, the end of March. That was PILF versus Brook. Bookvar, uh, Bookvar being the former SOS over there in the Keystone State. Now, um, just in case you don't remember who PILF is, PILF is the Public Interest Legal Foundation. They are a 501c3 organization and they are the nation's only public interest law firm dedicated wholly to election integrity. Uh, the foundation exists to assist states and others to aid the cause of election integrity and fight against lawlessness in American elections. So they're just and solely on elections. That's where their main work is. Drawing on numerous experts in the field, PILF seeks to protect the right to vote and preserve the constitutional framework of American elections. PILF has brought lawsuits and won victories in Texas, Mississippi, North Carolina, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and across the United States. So now they're giving some sort of counsel to uh, the Senate there in Arizona. Now, um, the president and general counsel for Public Interest Legal Foundation, his, uh, their name is J. Christian Adams. And uh, J. Christian Adams actually wrote Senate, Senator Karen Fan <clears throat> on May 7th. And uh, this was in response again to that DOJ letter uh, that had come across her desk. And he had urged her to resist the non-existent federal authority um, that was being asserted by the principal deputy assistant attorney general, Pamela Carlin. Uh, and so let me see, I have that here. Okay, so here is the uh, letter that came from PILF. Again, that is the Public Interest Legal Foundation. <clears throat> I'll go ahead. I think I can keep it there. What I can do is this. Boop, boop. Okay, cool. So we're not going to read all of this. It's three pages long. Uh, I do have basically uh, an abbreviated response from the PILF um, website. So we'll go through that. Uh, but uh, let's go ahead and let me go ahead and pull that up so you can see it here. You know, it's all official documents. Oh, and again, guys, <clears throat> all of this documentation will be included in my Discord. So if you're interested in checking out uh, where my sources and citations come from, you can see it in my Discord, all the links to the videos, websites, and these documents such as these pdfs and other that other things like that will be included there if you don't have my discord and you'd like it uh just uh, uh shout out in the chat room and and yeah i will get with you uh, maybe i i will drop it in the chat i don't know last time i dropped it in the chat a couple cockroaches got in okay so let's go ahead and go through this real quick now this is what pilf had to say um in regards to what was going on with the doj trying to get involved with this whole election audit. Uh, 
Um, now, it said here on May 17, 2021, the Public Interest Legal Foundation wrote a letter to the Arizona State Senate president urging her to resist the Department of Justice's abuse of power regarding the Maricopa County election audit. Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General, that's quite a title, Pam Carlin, is doing the bidding of and acting as a surrogate for the Democrat Party, not as an objective law enforcement official and representative of the United States Department of Justice, is what uh, PILF President J. Christian Adams wrote in that letter, and uh, the PILF Litigation Council Maureen Reardon to the Arizona State Senate. Now, here's some of the background. It says, Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General Pam Carlin wrote to Arizona State Senate President Karen Fan claiming their audit could be in violation of federal voting and civil rights. Carlin is an ideologue with a history of partisan enforcement of civil rights law and scholarly dishonesty. Some of her most egregious actions are listed below, and they include as a member of Facebook Oversight Board. So this person was a member of the Facebook Oversight Board. God, doesn't it figure that they would be working in Biden's Department of Justice? Carlin played a key role in censoring free speech and information about vulnerabilities in our election system. So, huh, I wonder when her tenure over at Facebook ended. Was she one of the people that was constantly putting up the blocks and the notes on all of our election input there? You know, uh, it also says during the first impeachment trial... Um, of President Trump, she made a tasteless joke about the president's youngest son. Oh, that was that girl? That was that woman? Oh, that's not good. That's no bueno. Um, um, and it also says, Carlin has falsely published that four, five of the eight years of the Bush administration, they brought no Voting Rights Act, case, Act cases of its own except for one protecting white voters. Yet, the record shows that numerous cases were brought under the Voting Rights Act to protect non-white racial minorities in all eight years of the Bush administration. So she has a history of lying also. It goes on, Carlin's letter is completely wrong on the law. This Biden Department of Justice is exercising a non-existent authority to conduct oversight of the audit. Carlin claims that Maricopa Recorder's office simply surrendered all pertinent election records to a private party without proper retention and archiving procedures in place. This is false. The Superior Court of Arizona found the legislative subpoenas governing the handling of the election documents in question were proper and lawful. The Department of Justice is engaging a brazen abuse of power. An audit of a past election does not violate the Voting Rights Act or any other federal election law. In the entire history of the DOJ, the department has not interfered with or investigated an audit because it has no legal authority to do so. And uh, that was a very interesting point. Uh, um, it, it, I'd also read somewhere a point uh, regarding where, you know, you couldn't call it voter intimidation because, again, 
This has nothing to do. What are you going to do? Retroactively cause the voter to change their vote because you went knocking on their door or something like that? Like, it makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. So that was something that was, uh, that I thought that was actually a, a pretty good win. Uh, that's sound. I mean, I'm no legal counselor, obviously, but I thought that was sound advice. And if anything, maybe it just fortified uh, President Fan's resolve to go ahead and continue even though she has faced so much opposition, indeed, as President Trump had made a statement a couple of days ago um, that the uh, the behavior of the Arizona Senate is indeed something to be proud of. Indeed, there are things going on in Arizona. Um, just wake up and smell the coffee. All right. So uh, let's see here, guys. Watch out now. Boop. Oh, my God. Who's that? All right. We all we are talking about uh, Secretary of State Katie Schnobbs here. Miss, Miss Katie Hobbs. Um, so some other good stuff went down. Uh, good stuff for us, not so good for her. Now, according to Arizona's ABC 15, um, a Republican-led committee stripped Democrat Katie Hobbs from the ability to hear any audit-related lawsuits until the year 2023. <laughs> okay, so Katie Hobbs no longer has the ability to, uh, uh, I guess, peruse and, and, and take on any cases or lawsuits regarding, which is good because clearly this woman's biased. She gets on MSDNC, starts to cry, and calls it a fraud it, you know? So clearly she has a bias and, you know, it's not her function to be biased as Secretary of State. It's her function to make sure things go down fair and and consistently, you know? So it says here that, um, uh, oh, oh, and by the way, this uh, Arizona's ABC, ABC 15, another local news outlet there in Arizona, writes another biased article in the favor of the Democrats. Hmm, go figure. Well, it seems to me, if I recall, that uh, Perkins Coy, in addition to having all of his uh, lawfare lawsuit lawyers go down there and decide into Arizona, that they're also tied into the media there. And uh, and one of the largest media outlets that all of them get their talking points from works closely with these people. So it makes sense that all these Arizona outlets would indeed be uh, singing the praises of uh, people like Katie Schnobbs and the rest of the Democrat Party there in Arizona. Now it says uh, that she was stripped of her ability to defend election lawsuits. Oh, so she was the great defender, according to ABC 15 Arizona. Um, and uh, this was done by um, by the evil Republican-led House Appropriations Committee. Uh, the duty was transferred exclusively to Attorney General Mark Bronovich, a Republican, who, while he's pretty active on calling states of emergency on the border of Arizona, um, he hasn't said word one about what's going on with this election audit. Why is he Mom, maybe this is why President Trump called him out because he knew that Mish Snobs here would have this ability to see these lawsuits taken from her and put in his lap. Wake up, A.G. Bronovich over in Arizona. Something's happening in your state. Anyways, so um, he'll be able to access and look at these lawsuits 
through the end of the fiscal year for 2023. Now, Democrats say the move is retaliation against Hobbs, schnobs, um, because, uh, of course, uh, Arizona uh, voters won't be able to be defended in lawsuits filed by the state Republican Party and other challenging Arizona's election results. So uh, clearly they needed her and they just basically neutered her. <laughs> she is no longer effective for George Soros, even though she is a Soros, um, she's a Soros uh, worker there. Um, furthermore, uh, and I thought this was interesting. I don't know why ABC 15 Arizona had to include this in their article article, but they did. It says, furthermore, in addition to retaliating and stripping Katie Schnobbs of all of her powers, right, uh, to, to oversee these lawsuits, additionally, the Arizona Appropriations Committee removed Hobbs' oversight of the Capitol Museum when Katie Schnobbs decided to fly a gay pride flag from the building's balcony in 2019. I was like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> okay, so you honestly know what I think it is? I think it's just that uh, the Arizona media has done such a good job at making this seem like a nothing burger and a whole bunch of quacks that when Katie Schnobbs was directly attacked and all of her ability to do her job was taken away from her, no one would care. No one would care. They're like, who's Katie Schnobbs? Oh, that's her. Our, we have a secretary of state. Oh, she has something to do with this audit. Oh, she's on our side. Oh, well, no one cares because they did such a good job of underreporting and also making it look like it was a sideshow circus. So they have to get the gays involved because they're figuring maybe the gays will go out and protest for Katie because she's gay. Oh, wait, that's right. Cue the hedgehog lesbian hair. All right, Sonic, let's go. <laughs> I knew she was a lesbian. Anyways, okay, so, um, all right, okay, that's enough about that. Um, I just think it's really funny, but here's the, here's the plain and simple truth that uh, the people of Arizona don't realize about the gay community. They're not going to go protest if there's not mimosas and poppers at the party. Trust me, they could care less. All right, so let's talk about a group of people who will protest, though. Let's go over to the state of Michigan. Gah, it's like Arizona and Michigan are always in my reports. What is up with that? I need to, I need to get back to talking about Texas stuff at some point. But anyways, uh, that's only because I'm from Texas. But yeah, we, we're, we're covered over here. Um, we could be better covered, though. Okay, let's talk about another win going on in Michigan. Now, this has uh, little to do, if anything, with the election audits going on in Michigan. Now, we know that that has been squared away, of course, because uh, the judge over there in Antrim County decided to dismiss it. Uh, but we do know that uh, the constitutional lawyer, Matthew DiPerno, and his team, whomever they are, apparently that's another microstorm going on over there. Uh, but we know that they're, they're seeking appeal and they're taking their own route. So let's get off of the election election audit in Michigan for a minute. We got some other Michigan news to talk about today. Now, some of you guys may or may not know this man. Oh, wait, not this man. Oh, wait, wait, we're talking about, we're talking, okay, yes, we do want to talk about this man, uh, because we are talking about, uh, people who will actually get up and protest, right? Because the gay community won't do it, you know, unless, like, someone assassinates RuPaul. That's the only way they would go protest, right? Okay, so, and just for sound by effect, I did not say assassinate RuPaul. Okay, so, 
Now, here we have in Michigan, a group of Michiganite, Michiganites or Michiganers. I don't know how they call them. If you're from the state of Michigan, go and pop that in the chat and correct me. Slap me up inside down the face. But basically, it was uh, um, Trump supporters, uh, Republican conservatives of the GOP party. They went over to the GOP uh, headquarters in Lansing and they demanded that the GOP executive director be removed because he is a never Trumper. He is the man that I have. Well, he's the man I have on the screen. Well, right here. Wait, right here. I'll get it right eventually. So, okay. So uh, this guy, his name is Jason Rowe, uh, Jason Rowe. And he is um, uh, apparently the executive director for the Republican Party there in Lansing. Now it says that they were upset because this executive director of the state party, Jason Rowe, has made several dismissive and uh, never Trump statements to groups and to candidates. Um, he also indicated that President uh, Trump blew his chance at the November election. So this guy's apparently he's a baby rhino, I guess is what I would call him because nobody knows who the heck he is, right? At least not outside of Michigan. Um, the group delivered a resolution of censure to the party regarding Rose comments on the Michigan's Information and Research Services podcast last week when he said Trump was seemingly doing everything he could to lose a winnable race. Um, Roe also indicated on the podcast the party should move on from complaining about how the election loss happened and that time would alleviate their frustration. Uh, Deborah L., who is the precinct delegate from Frank Month and an organizer of the rally they had on Tuesday, said... The gathering was not a protest, and it wasn't a sign of division within the party. It was a reminder that remarks like Rose represented a minority for the party, while the majority of the party are still loyal to Trump and believe there was fraud in the 2020 election. Now, that's a pretty cool statement, uh, because, again, we're finally putting them in their place. The silent majority is not so silent anymore. If any of these audits give evidence, of any of actions like these give evidence, all it takes is for us to get up off our tuchus, stop playing puzzle games, and go confront these people and take their place, you know? Like, you know, we've had puzzles for years. Why deal with puzzles anymore when we could actually get active in our backyard and do something about it, you know? Um, don't just sit back and have faith, because faith without works is dead. The group also criticized GOP United States representatives Fred Upton of St. Joseph and Peter Meyer of Grand Rapids, who voted in January to impeach the former president for the January 6th false flag riots there at the United States Capitol. Um, the group criticized Roe for alleged support of the national popular vote in 2011. So yes, we see, and you know, they had a rally out there. I think uh, the article said it was a few dozen people who went out. So a few dozen doesn't sound like much, uh, but I mean, that's a few dozen. That's like what? More than 30 at least. So, <laughs> so that's not bad in my book. I think that's pretty good. And um, I think that uh, just that, uh, just that insurgence of individuals going out and, and saying something, putting their voice out there and demanding some sort of recourse should say enough because at the end of the day, Jason Rowe is just one man. We are many, they are few. So we just have to stand up and realize it. Uh, maybe the great awakening will be not when everyone realizes that we're being run by a deep state, but that when everyone realizes we all agree on the same thing. And that is, we don't want globalism. We want our constitution 
constitutional republic back. Okay, so let's go on to some more good news happening in Michigan. Wow, Michigan's suddenly becoming a field of good news. Now, months ago, we reported that this man here, Charlie, this man here, Charlie LaDuff, had actually sued and he uh, he had um he'd actually uh, uh, filed a FOIA request to get the um to get the COVID nineteen uh um nursing home death data he he filed for a FOIA so that this way he could get that information well it seems that this Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Charlie LaDuff finally reached a settlement with the Whitmer administration in this FOIA lawsuit, and he's going to get the information. Now, it says in this article from Just the News, LaDuff sued March 9th after submitting a Freedom of Information Act request for data on COVID-19 deaths, but the uh, Michigan Department of Youth and Health... Youth and Health and Human Services, excuse me, Health and Human Services failed to produce the requested records. The Mackinac Center Legal Foundation represented him. Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Charlie LaDuff has reached a settlement with the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services to gain access to data on the number of COVID-19 nursing home deaths in the state. Uh, The health department agreed to release some of the public records LaDuff requested. The department also acknowledges it can't determine if some patients killed by COVID-19 contracted the virus at a nursing home or other long term care facilities. Uh, MDHHS has now provided records for the ages and deaths, death rate, death dates of the COVID-19 victims, but inadequate tracking meant the department couldn't provide the dates when a specific vital record death was added to the state's tally or whether the deceased contracted COVID-19 at a long-term care facility. So very interesting. Keep in mind, uh, wretched Gretchen Whitmer and the state of Michigan is on the top five for the governors, the governators who are uh, swamped in this scandal that is the COVID nursing home death scandal because they sent people who are either uh, recovering from or possibly positive in COVID into nursing homes and rehabilitation centers, infecting the senior population in those places, uh, leading to more, uh, to more um, uh, death and more disease being spread there. Now, it was reported that about 5,645 nursing home residents died and 77 staff members due to COVID-19 in the aftermath of wretched Gretchen Whitmer's mandate for that COVID activity. Terrible. That is absolutely terrible, y'all. So let's go ahead and talk about wretched Gretchen Whitmer because she is also making headlines again. Now, she's been under fire uh, quite a bit recently. Maybe she is so, uh, I don't know, caught up in a flimsy because of all this all the pressure she's under now like now you have this coming forward where uh you know this this pulitzer prize winning journalist will get this data we also have to remember that uh the michigan senate did issue a subpoena for them to turn over the correspondence and other data relating to 
what was going on with the COVID-19 nursing death home scandal. So she's, and then, and then also she got a big old slap on the hand and it was basically being placed in probation because she left, <laughs> because she left Florida without telling anyone while her state was in a state of emergency, one that she has decided to prolong so often, right? So she's been getting, she's been getting hit left and right. I mean, she looks totally spazzed out in this picture here, if you ask me. And like I said, I don't find flattering pictures of these people. They don't deserve it. Okay. So anyways, getting back to Richard Gretchen Whitmer, what's going on with her now? Well, apparently she was just so up in a tizzy about everything that's going on. She forgot about her own mandates for coronavirus in her state. And she violated her own coronavirus order by visiting a dive bar with a group of 13 and none of them are wearing masks. Rules for thee and not for me? Or is it rules for me and not for thee, wretched Gretchen Whitmer? Okay, well, actually, it's not rules for me. I'm in the state of Texas. Ha 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 ha. But, uh, okay, so Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer hit the bar this weekend. Okay, so this was an exclusive from Breitbart. Let's go ahead and pull the picture up. And there she is, pictured in the back, smiling with a big old smiley face. I don't know who this woman is, <laughs> but she was like, I want to be famous just like you, Gretchen. I'm going to put my face in the picture. But there she is, you know, she gets to go out and enjoy her time, go out and sit at a bar or a restaurant or whatever it is that you want to call it, right? Either way, she has these mandates where they get fined a lot of money if they accept patrons. Now, this is that whole thing about uh, the government's not going to enforce these COVID mandates, but everyone else in your neighborhood will, businesses will, bosses will, employees will, your friends will, your family, everybody will enforce them for them because they've been put in this uh, pocket of fear for over a year, right? So basically, that's what's up. You know, they were, she was finding restaurants for this type of activity, huge sums of money, including restricting a whole bunch of licenses. So here you have that in regards to her going out. Now, what was this guideline that uh, wretched Gretchen Whitmer had um, placed before everyone? Well, it said that gatherings were prohibited at food service establishments, whether indoor or outdoors, unless... Unless consumption of food or beverages were permitted only in designated dining areas where patrons were seated in groups, uh, patr uh, groups of patrons separated by at least six feet. Uh, this don't look like six feet right here. Uh, that's not even six feet across the table. And that there are no more than six patrons seated together, whether it's a table or a booth or a group of fixed seats. So she just doubled her uh, misdemeanor here, or whatever you want to call it. She just doubled her fine, right? Uh, so you know, double on top. Now, can you imagine if they were doing it on a case-by-case, person-by-person, count-by-count, group-by-group basis, where uh, one of the COVID police walked into this establishment and saw 12 and said, that's two fines, two fines, because there's double the amount of people? Gah, I wouldn't doubt that, uh, that they would do something like that up there in wretched Gretchen Whitmer state. Um, so anyways, so uh, she did release a statement of course, she released a statement. Uh, before we get to the statement, though, let's take a look at this here. Because I told you guys that she was charging businesses well. She has she has charged over, over, over 50 different businesses. Now, check this out. Check this out, guys. Buddy's Pizza, $6,300 fine. 
the coffee beanery, uh, $1,500 fine. Let's look at some of this. Uh, this, this one here lost their emergency suspension. They had an emergency suspension of their liquor license. Like they're not joking around. They're taking away people's livelihoods. They're taking away their ability to, to exist and to be happy. $5,000 fine and suspension, suspension of liquor license, $7,500 fine or $7,500 fine. My bad. $6,300 fine suspension of liquor license. Like this is terrible guys. $11,000 fined to Spangler's family restaurant. How are these companies expected to come back when they've been fined these ridiculous fines and then on top of that they can't even bring business into their own place over 50 guys 55 to be exact suspended suspended licenses unreported fines four thousand dollars five thousand dollars is nothing to these globalists but to hard-working americans like me and you this is a lot of money and it's disgusting quite frankly it is very disgusting let's get this disgusting face back on the yeah disgusting disgusting gretchen wretchen whitmer you are disgusting okay so uh okay let's let's hear her apology she says yesterday uh, i don't think i could do it in like a michigan like <laughs> i don't think i could do it in their accent they have a very specific accent don't you know anyways it says yesterday i went with friends to a local restaurant as more people arrived, the tables were pushed together. Because we were all vaccinated, we didn't stop to think about my own rules, laws, and mandates. The Whitmer Law, right? In retrospect, I should have thought about it. I am human. We don't know that for a fact, Wretched Gretchen. It says, I made a mistake and I apologize. So I guess she went ahead and gave her apology. But she's getting reamed, I'm sure, for this. I'm sure everyone is, like, really, you know, really coming after Gretchen. I'm sure they are not the subject of her prayers by far and by any means. Uh, but then, But then, to add a little insult to injury, she went ahead and made a statement where she basically downplayed it and laughed off her own hypocrisy it's a short statement with this like this thing looks like a demon when it's frozen but anyways <laughs> let's go ahead let's go ahead and hear what she had to say so i'll just say this you know i um i put out a statement i wrote that statement it is you know it was an, an honest mistake and i i have apologized for it um i think that we have specifically not gone forward and penalized businesses that are trying to do the right thing. It's those that have flouted and put people's safety at risk that, um, you know, are the most concerning. But you know, I don't know that there's a, a lot more for me to add at this point in time other than those uh, former Spartans, or I guess you're Spartan for life, who know the establishment should be aware that it's now a restaurant and they have pretty good pizza. Did you hear that? She said it's not a restaurant. So I guess it was okay for her to go in there and do that. Like, total, like, does this woman care? Let's get her disgusting face back on the screen. Let's, let's, call, let's all call her gross and disgusting. Like, gross. You're gross, Whitmer. You are disgusting, Wretched Gretchen. Disgusting. Okay. So, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, not, it's not a restaurant. It's a dive bar. So I guess she could go in there without a mask. I mean... What is that all about? Like, I don't understand it. Okay, on the plus side, guys, on the plus side, this bar will not be fined and they will not suffer any consequences for Whitmer's own hypocrisy 
I mean, if anything, maybe they'll get some more business. And, you know, maybe this is something that had to happen. Because now that this has happened, she's going to lose all of her ability to uphold her own laws. That's a good thing. And maybe more businesses will fight back. Maybe if they can get some people in, you know, city councils up in Michigan and any of the cities, Detroit, Lansing, wherever you're at. If you're in Michigan, get to work on finding people who are good and constitutional to serve on your city council. Because by starting in your own backyard, they can basically make those fines null and void. Like they can say, okay, federal government, state, whatever you want to mandate these stupid things, these stupid, uh, you know, where you have to have a mask or you have to have a passport. They could find a way to basically erase those fines. And then that way the business can continue operating. I remember when Texas was in the heat of it, there were some businesses that were shut down and they had posted on their window closed due to not adhering to COVID guidelines, fined $2,500 and closed for two weeks. Like that was happening here in Texas. And the companies that were able to reopen were like gas stations, but the mom and pops, they went nowhere and they ceased to exist. So backyards, guys, backyards. We got to clean up our backyards. It's a good example of it. All right, let's get her ugly face off the screen. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about Dr. Senator Rand Paul. Uh, okay, so now, guys, for those of you who don't know, back in the day, back in 2016, this man was actually my man in the race. Like, he was my horse in the race. I was going to vote for Rand Paul up until, you know, he was defeated. <laughs> And then Trump rose, you know, and Trump ended up being the man, the man with the plan, right? Okay, you know, in retrospect, and I don't want to get too much into past politics because I was a big Ron Paul supporter, huge Ron Paul supporter. So it was very nice to see that someone of his own ilk, the apple did not fall far from the tree and that his son was also involved in uh in american politics and that he was a representative a, st a state senator so that was that was great and then i remember towards uh the end of that election season um before they declared mike pence to be his vp i was like we need a president trump rand paul ticket wouldn't that be awesome to have a trump paul ticket because indeed trump paul <laughs> Not Trumpets, but Trump all. Like, I think that would be so awesome. So I don't know, maybe in 2024 or maybe sometime sooner, because I really don't see Pence coming back as his VP if uh, President Trump decides to go ahead and assume the office. Once again, you notice I said decides. Anyways, okay, so let's go ahead and talk about Rand Paul. Uh, this is going to be among the last stories for the night. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Sea Report for this Wednesday afternoon um, and uh, hanging out with us in chat and all across the board. We've had people stepping into Twitch. We've had, oh, actually, no, DLive. Wow, oh my goodness, my friend. First D-Liver. Hey, what's going on, Banana Raptor God? Hmm, that sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> what an interesting handle, Banana Raptor God. But then also we had people over in Twitch, and of course the Foxhole fam is always active as ever. Okay, let's talk about Rand Paul. Uh, Dr. Paul, yes, this senator here. Now, as you all know, he's been coming up in the news a lot lately because of the way that he's been handling Fauci. Uh, now, someone once said to me that... Uh, Dr. Fauci sounds like Danny DeVito. <laughs> I gotta say, after listening to him enough, uh, I get those overtones of DeVito in his voice. But, um, okay, so what, what the latest development uh, with him is, and um, I'm sure all of y'all are aware, 
Rand Paul has been receiving death threats again. And he received death threats like some time ago. He got beaten up. Uh, uh, I mean, basically, he was jumped. Um, and then also, uh, he's been fighting with, uh, he's been fighting against COVID and Dr. Fauci uh, to put on the plate that for a fact, um, Dr. Fauci and the NIH did have something to do with funding the Wuhan lab or funding research into the development of the COVID, I mean, of COVID-19 to affect human beings, right? Okay, so let's go ahead and do a quick, we did a a quick recap on that. Now, he actually received a mysterious package with white powder in it. What is going on with that, guys? Because this just literally happened to Arizona Senate President Karen Fan a week ago. So there's definitely a chilling intimidation effect going on out there. People are sending these things to our representatives, our senators, those who would dare defy the globalist deep state. Yeah, we see their MO. We see their MO. This is the way they work. This is how they operate. Now, Uh, On Tuesday, the United States Capitol Police issued a statement in regards to this. It said, at approximately 4.30 p.m. on Monday, the United States Capitol Police were notified a letter containing a powdery substance was sent to the Kentucky home of Senator Rand Paul. This person, uh, the person who found the letter, called the local sheriff's office. The U.S. CP and FBI were also notified An initial test determined the substance is not dangerous. As a precaution, it was taken to an FBI lab for further testing. Both federal agencies are investigating. So in this, in the case of uh, Senate President Karen Fan, also, it was found that this substance was not, uh, was not dangerous, uh, not immediately anyways. But, you know, with everything that's going on and all the things that they're creating, I mean, for Christ's sake, they're opening a Wuhan lab, a BS4 level, a biosafety level four lab in Manhattan, Kansas. This same kind of lab that developed the Wuhan COVID-19 China virus that, that you know, has killed so many people. I think, I don't know. I think the vaccines probably killed more people at this point. And the, the gene therapy has actually killed more people at this point. But I don't know. I could be wrong. But anyways, they're opening the same kind of lab in Manhattan, Kansas, guys, right in the middle of our beef belt. Okay. And you, there's no telling what they're making there or what they will be making there. So really, there's no telling what this, you know, white powder could be. I mean, it could be something that, I don't know, triggers other things, or, or maybe it's like, Maybe it's like a variant of the COVID bug or something. Who knows, right? So it's a good thing that they're investigating that. But it's awfully funny that it's happened again. It's happened to another state Senate representative. Like, um, I, I think they should really try and figure out where these letters are coming from, if you ask me. Anyways, I'm going to play a quick clip uh, of Rand Paul on, looks like Fox News, uh, where they're talking about this because it, it was what some some ancient singer, one hit wonder, actually, I don't know, Richard Marx uh, of the Marx Brothers or what? I don't know. I've never heard of the guy. Um, but anyways, he, he had some statements that were pretty disgruntling in regards to this. Apparently, this man does not like Rand Paul too much, but we're not going to focus so much on what he said as uh, what they're talking about in this video. So let's go ahead and give it a listen real quick never suggested anybody do any violence towards you 
Well, you know, I had six ribs broken, three of them uh, dislocated where they rubbed on each other for weeks and weeks till they healed. They damaged my lung. I had pneumonia twice. A year later, I was coughing up blood, then had to have a portion of my lung removed, then got an infection in the space between the lung and the chest wall and almost died from that and have permanent scarring of my lung. And he's offering a guy to buy drinks if somebody will do it again and finish the job. That sounds to me like he's advocating violence. Sounds like he's a despicable human. But think also about what he's angry about. He's an irrational idiot. He's angry because I'm not getting vaccinated. Well, guess what? In India, there's not enough vaccines. Do you think we should be debating whether people in India should be getting the vaccine who have already had the disease or whether we should save the vaccine for those who have not gotten the disease? This is a discussion that is a public health discussion that could save millions of lives. In Israel, they discovered that those who had gotten the disease survived equally well to those who had gotten the vaccine. It's about the same. So when there's not enough vaccine for the world, the advice to the countries who don't have enough vaccine is incredibly important. Millions of lives depend on it. And that's the idea that I have, that you should vaccinate first those who have not had the disease and let the people who've had the disease count on their natural immunity. Nobody wants to get infected, but if you've been infected, you have some natural immunity. This should not be a political issue. They should not want to kill me and send an anti <laughs> no, I, hear you. I, I don't understand the anger over this. And I also don't understand why we're doing so much national testing. Why aren't we testing people for antibodies so that they can decide, you know, well, then I guess I can wait a little while. I have some natural immunity. Perhaps it should go to someone in India, as you well point out, um, who maybe needs the vaccine more than I do. The fact that this has this drives people to such anger is, I, I think, I don't know. It says something uh, about our society. Last thoughts are no thinking. Everything's one size fits all. We're all yeah. lemmings, pounding the round peg in a square hole. Nobody's allowed to have the freedom to make their choices, and it's a sad day for America if we let this group thing take over. Senator Paul, thank you. So one thing I found pretty interesting about this, maybe it's not that interesting. Um, there was a during summer. Quiet, you. This high school physics teacher. Okay, uh, th- there was an article that just came out that said that um, Wendy Williams has decided not to take the vaccine, and she's very, very adamant about it. In fact, she nearly made a, what is that, one doctor guy that, I don't remember, Dr. Phil maybe, I'm not sure, uh, but like <laughs> nearly fell off his seat. Now, Wendy Williams is speaking out against these vaccines. She's not getting death threats. What's up with that? Actually, actually, maybe that is something the gays would go protest. <laughs> They'd be like, Wendy Williams, you betrayed us. Anyways, okay. So uh, let's go ahead and move on from that, guys. Um, now, of course, uh, we did know about this whole um, debacle, this whole uh, verbal argument that was going on between uh, Rand Paul uh, and also Dr. Fauci. I'm pretty sure everybody saw it. Um, so anyways, this video, he gives out more interesting information uh, that he didn't say in uh, the hearing that they had there, wherever they had Dr. Fauci. So I thought I'd bring this also up um, to archive on the uh, C report. So let's go ahead and give this a quick listen. Our channel about the give and take between the two of you, he had this to say. Can I just ask about you and Rand Paul? Does your body tense up every time? <laughs> and by body, you know what I mean. Yeah. You know-
know, Gail, I, I just don't want to get into that tip for tat. I, I just don't understand what the problem is with yeah. him. But, you know, well, I'm just going to do my job and he can do what he wants to do and we'll see what happens. Well, Senator, he says he's just going to do his job, but that seems to be what you've got a problem with, how he's doing his job. Well, if he was being interviewed by a journalist, they would have asked, did the NIH, did your specific division of the NIH give money to the Wuhan lab? That's incontrovertibly true. What he's arguing is he's parsing his words. He knows his group gave money, but he's saying, oh, it wasn't for juicing up these super viruses. We gave it for other research. It's sort of like the Planned Parenthood argument. Yes, we give taxpayer money to Planned Parenthood, but it's not for abortion. Dr. Fauci's arguing, yeah, we gave it, you know, the NIH and my group specifically gave it to the Wuhan lab, but they weren't supposed to be juicing up viruses. The money is fungible, as you say on Capitol Hill. But it's even worse than that. The Dr. Xi, the bat scientist that's the most famous one from the Wuhan Institute, when she published her papers, which scientists across the board are saying are gain of function, they were juicing up viruses, she gave credit to Dr. Fauci. She said the funding came from, we have this in black yeah. and white from a peer-reviewed journal, she said the funding came from Dr. Fauci's National Institute AID, NIAID. This is Dr. Fauci's baby for 40 years. She lists him in the credits. He can't escape this. He did the funding. And my other question is, China's a rich country. They're kicking our butt in so many places. Why would we be giving them money for their research? Can't yeah. they spend their own money on their own research? Indeed. Can't they do that? Okay, so there's... There was that those auto plays, I tell you. Yeah, we got one more. We got one more. Um, one more uh, Rand Paul, Dr. Paul, uh, video coming up now. This one's going to be in regards to how he's uh, calling for Fauci to testify under oath about the money that was given to uh, the Wuhan lab through the NIH, because we all saw that uh, verbal debate that those two gentlemen had. So we'll go ahead and uh, play this one next, and then we'll see you on just a quick minute. I mean, he, it gets more interesting, guys. He's, he starts dropping more and more information. Morning. Uh, you listen to the reporting there. What do you make of this? Why? I think the most, I think the most important thing is that the investigation can't be done by the WHO or an international group. But it also can't be done by Americans who are involved with funding the lab. So Dr. Fauci and his hand-picked person from EcoHealth, they can't investigate themselves because they gave the money to the lab. They have a conflict of interest and a desire to make sure nothing bad is discovered that could have occurred with NIH money. So they can't be the investigators either. And this is very important. I think Dr. Fauci should be made to testify under oath about the money that was given to the lab and the good news is yesterday I passed an amendment on the Senate floor that says no more gain-of-function money can be sent to China. This is very important because this could happen again. I mean, they are experimenting with the SARS virus, which is 15 times more deadly than COVID-19. COVID-19 kills about 1%. That's been 3 million people, more than 3 million people. If SARS got out of lab, that could be 50 million people. So this is a very important task ahead of us. Okay. We have a we have 11 labs in our country that do this kind of research. You, you, you raise a, a number of interesting points. Let me see if I can knock off as many as I can in the next few minutes here. Uh, we are told that the NSC, the National Security Council, is the one that's running this investigation now. Is that acceptable? I think it needs to be a bipartisan commission, not just the administration. I think really this should not be a partisan issue. 
And I think yesterday we demonstrated that Democrats will vote for some uh, repercussions on this. But I don't know that the administration can investigate this, particularly since they've shut down the previous administration's investigation. So I'm worried that they're trying to cover up the government's involvement, our government's okay, involvement. So they, in they would this argue research. they haven't shut it down. And I, I mean, maybe it is just a question of whether it's in this silo at the State Department or in this silo over here at the National Security Council. Stand by for more on that. You mentioned Anthony Fauci. Here he was on the Hill about the funding for that lab in Wuhan and what was legitimate and what was not. Watch. About $600,000 over a period of five years. So it was a modest amount. There was nothing in the grant application that would call for what is referred to as gain of function. Gain of function meaning taking the virus that could infect humans and making it either more transmissible and or pathogenic to humans. Okay, so a couple things in there. This, take the value of the dollars he mentioned 600,000 over five years is that a lot does that matter uh sure well sure it's a lot and actually there are some reports that it added up to millions over time but the other thing he said is that there was no gain of function in the application there are scientists who have looked at the application and absolutely and categorically disagree with him they say the application did include gain of function the other evidence we have is that dr Xi from the wuhan lab published a paper that is clearly about gain of function and in that, she thanks Dr. Fauci and his group for funding that paper. So there's a lot of contradictions going on. The bottom line is he cannot investigate himself. He was responsible for giving this money, so he has every incentive to cover it up and not reveal the truth about it, because if the pandemic did come from the lab, he would have great culpability in this. So he can't be investigating this, nor can any of his people that he picks be investigating this. He needs to be excluded from the investigation. So you allege today this is a cover-up. Is that what I hear? No, I'm, no, what I'm saying is is that there could be a cover-up because there's an incentive by people like Dr. Fauci not to uh, reveal anything because he would be then culpable because he was in charge of funding this lab. Okay, one more thing I want to squeeze in here. The National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, or the James Freeman wrote about this in the Wall Street Journal a few days ago. Uh, the quote from that group was, it's impossible for us to be aware of, nor can we account for all of their activities. Just final word on this, Senator. I think that's true, and one of the strongest evidence that this came from the lab is they haven't been able to find the virus in any animal. Nobody, no, we, they tested thousands of animals in the wet market. None of them tested positive for COVID, so there's a lot of things that need to be investigated, but so far a lot of the evidence is pointing towards the lab. Well, Senator, thank you for coming on today. It continues, okay? The mystery there deepens. Rand Paul. Rand Paul. Hey, it is not here. I did not give you permission. Okay, cool. All right, guys. So that's what's going on there. So we'll see if uh, if they actually do end up getting uh, Dr. Dr. Fauci. It's going to be doctor on doctor, right? Uh, into a testimony under oath to see what they can uh, they can disclose or put him on the put him on the record for, and they can hold him accountable for. Um, now, on the heels of all of this going on, because of course we have uh, we have Dr. Paul pursuing this whole issue in regards to. Whether or not NIH actually uh, funded this uh, this uh, this gains or this development of the Wuhan, which basically means where you know humans can get it too and can pass it on from human to human, you know. Um, um, at the same time, we also have um, the 
illegitimate administration of Joe Biden shutting down a State Department operation that was started uh, during uh, Trump's administration um, to uh, investigate the origins of COVID-19 as per it being lab-based and also the funding for it. Because there's a lot of other articles circulating out there that do go on to show that, you know, the Chinese military had a lot to do with it. And there were already a lot of leaks about American scientists' involvement with the creation and or the genesis of this virus, right? So um, this uh, this um, State Department operation, which Forbes magazine listed it as being clandestine, you know, meaning it was kind of like a under wraps, kind of like an untoward type of operation. Uh, was being headed by uh, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, love that man, and also had its start in late 2020 to investigate the possibility of it being a Chinese bioweapon um, and whether or not it was created in the Chinese lab as opposed to coming from a bat or some other type of creature. Um, but Biden's t- team swiftly shut it down after they had a couple of briefings in February and March about the operation Uh, One former State Department official familiar with the project said that the team conducted its work in a secretive way and that they were suspicious as hell and that they were cutting out the department's technical experts and the intelligence community prematurely briefing senior officials before work was concluded. And according to another source, exercising exercising experts critical of their science. So I guess they weren't following globalist, uh, you know, socialist science and they didn't like it. So they quickly cut them out. Um, And that is a development that's happening there. So, again, we just see illegitimate Joe, you know, um, you know, moving to the strings, moving to the music that the Chinese make and his globalist masters. But we'll see where that ends up, guys. We'll see where that ends up. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in this afternoon. Thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, For everyone over in Twitch, DLive, and also the Foxhole family, thank you guys so much. It was a a pretty good show. Um, I don't know if I will be on the air tomorrow for sure. Now, this has nothing to do with technicalities, uh, but my sister is due. uh, She's having an operation tomorrow. I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying. So um, I will be busy taking care of her and the family uh, to be sure. Um, so um, if I am on, it might be in an evening report. Otherwise, um, I'll try and at least get the podcast version of the show up. Again, if you'd like to catch and subscribe to the podcast C report um, for the event that I am not live here, live streaming on all platforms, um, you would go to anchor.fm slash the X podcast. That's T-H-E-E-X P-O-D-C-A-S-T, The X Podcast. And you can subscribe there or you can subscribe to The C Report on any podcast platform that you prefer to listen to. We're on everyone from the Tracked, uh, iHeart and Spotify, down through the unknown Himalaya and Blueberry, uh, whatever you prefer to listen to. If you'd like to make sure you don't miss an episode of The C Report, then you can definitely get it there if we're not live streaming. Otherwise, we'll be back tomorrow and Friday. And now Friday is going to be the kickoff for the uh, Forgotten Country Patriot Roundup in Dallas, Texas. To all of my friends who are going, y'all have a blessed, safe trip. It's going to be a great experience. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience, if you ask me. 
And uh, I think you all are very blessed to be able to be in attendance and to be there. All right, guys, give my give my kind words to General Mike Flynn and Sidney Powell. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyways, I mean, not that I don't have kind words, but you don't got it. Anyways. All right, guys. Okay. So thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we will have, uh, we, we may or may not have a show tomorrow, but we'll find out for sure. But in the meantime, you'll have a great evening, a great night, and we will see you next time. Don't forget, America, we love you, baby.